his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Good morning and welcome to the Morning Briefing for Tuesday, July 24th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show... We're going to speak to Mansoor Shams, a.k.a. the Muslim Marine, about the amazing things he's been doing over the past several years to try and build a better understanding of Islam in the United States, including a recent program where he had people actually spend the night with Muslim families during Ramadan, which, of course, is a holiday that features feasts and everything like that. We're going to talk to Mansoor Shams coming up in just a little bit about being the Muslim Marine, including walking around in places holding a sign that says, I'm a Marine and a Muslim. Ask me anything. Yeah, What happens when you do that? We'll find out when we talk to him. We're also going to talk to Justin Brown, founder and CEO of Hillvets. Got a lot to talk to him about as I look up at the uh, TV and see Robert Wilkie having been confirmed as uh, Secretary of the VA. Actually saw him there shaking hands with Marion Polk, who is the National Commander of AMVETS, and Joe Shinelli was there also. Uh, yeah, so we're going to talk to Justin about the confirmation of Secretary Wilkie, what that means, and I'm sure there's some other stuff that we're going to talk about as well. Like, how about the Hillvets House Fellowship? which has an open enrollment, kind of a rolling enrollment thing, where you can come to Washington, D.C. for a fully paid fellowship. you got a place to live. They give you money for food, and you get to figure out what it takes to work on Capitol Hill and if you think that you should want to do that. So Justin Brown coming up a little bit later on today after our discussion with Mansoor Shams, which comes up after our discussion with Jake Hughes. Jake, good morning. How are you on this fine, uh, gross, gray Tuesday with rain? I actually prefer it gray and gross. That's just me, though. Makes but me, I, I like it, but only because when I'm not working, because I can sleep. When it's ray, gray and rainy like this, I could lay down right now and be asleep within 30 seconds. Problem is, they tend to frown on that in a working environment. Yeah, but I mean, I just, I've, I mean, as you can probably tell from my complexion, I'm not a sunshine Dude, type of guy. We didn't talk about it yesterday, but your video of doing the new Army's PFT came out uh, the other day. I think uh, it was yes. on Friday. It was up all weekend. Uh, very popular video, a uh, fascinating video. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Jake is wearing uh, some sort of uh, white tights. No, those were your legs. Your legs have never seen the sun before that day, have they? No, they have not. <laughs> those were, I, I'm a very pale gentleman, but I saw your legs in that video and went, what is going on with Jake's the legs? Wild, the wild Jake is an indoor species. Your legs have the same skin color as like uh, do you remember the movie nosferatu or shadow of the vampire was or uh, the, uh what's what's it uh uh oh gosh powder the, yeah powder <laughs> yeah, ju- but just the legs the rest of your body seems to have a normal skin tone your legs though <laughs> they had they, they use my legs for white balance on the camera it, it looked like the pillsbury doughboys legs just stretched out a little bit but a good video and overall you did a pretty good job on that test i think yeah i think I did, except for the leg talk which yeah I, I, that was uh, kind of sad uh and but i don't know how much better i could have done on that i might have done like maybe one or two of those that looks like a hard exercise overall what was the experience of doing that new pft that new army pft honestly i felt like it was a decent workout i mean i felt like my overall opinion of it is that 
in the Army, I don't know how this is in the Navy or the other services, but in the Army, when we do PT, I get the feeling that we're training for the test and that we do push-ups, we oh, do yeah. sit-ups, and we go for oh, a yeah, run yeah, yeah. because it's more important that you get a good score on your PT test. With this, it's going to force us to widen, the, to vary the styles of PT that we do in the mornings yeah. because the test tests different muscle groups that you don't normally use. And like they say, it mirrors things you do in combat. Like the sprint section where you had to sprint down and back, drag a 90-pound sled, which sounds easy, but when you're dragging it backwards, it tends to really... Uh, Oh God, my my mind just stopped. Just grip the ground. It, yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. Like, well, no, I'm talking about it starts to really dig on your uh, your calves and your oh, quads. Yeah. So it's a really surprising workout, and it let it made me realize how out of shape that I am. Yeah. So, but overall, I think this will lead to a more well-rounded soldier. So I think it's a good thing for the army. Now, obviously, they have not released grading standards yet. Yeah. So we and don't that's know the if big you question. passed it. Like yes. did you what you did, you felt it was a good workout, but what you did was it enough to pass the PFT? For example, in, in the Navy, I don't know about the Army, I would assume it's the same way. If you failed any single aspect of the push-up, sit-ups, or run slash swim, whatever uh, the case may be, fail one of them, you fail the PRT. You're yeah, done. It's the same way. So if you now with these like eight exercises or whatever, you were unable to do this uh, tuck thing where you no had to like touch tuck. your knee to the if you don't do that, do you fail? Yep, like, do you have I was to do a, no a certain go. number of them. I was well, a no-go. Here's go. the thing. Does that mean that you fail the Army PFT overall because you did you didn't do one of that exercise? Is there a minimum for each exercise that you need to meet to pass? We don't know. Yeah, we don't we, know their grading state. Yeah, and they're probably not gonna release until we get closer to the twenty twenty rollout. Hmm. My only concern, honestly, is how much equipment it took and that and how much longer it's gonna take. Because in the army you know, for a 60-man company, you could knock out an APFT in an hour and a half, two hours. With something like this, it's going to take a much longer time. That's a full-day evolution, yeah. Well, yeah, and plus, you got to think, a PT test as it stands now, you can do anywhere. We did PT tests in Iraq. I have no idea why, but we did. You didn't because, have to. I know that. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> it was the point of that you can do it anywhere with no equipment. Yeah. Now... We have all the stuff. You need weights. You need kettlebells. You need medicine balls. You need a pull-up bar. And it's going to be interesting to see how the Army implements this. Here's the thing what, that I would say. If you're deployed into a war zone, uh, the PRT or PFT, whatever the heck you want to call it, it's designed uh, to train you for the war zone. If you're in the war zone, it's a little bit late for that now. Let's go ahead yeah. and hope that you're good to go. Uh, we didn't have to do our Navy PRT. We had a very small Navy team up where I was. There were only, let me think, one, two, three, four, four of us, and then an officer came later, so five. Um, there were five of us. We didn't do the PRT. Everybody went and went did the gym when they could, but really, honestly, you know what was the best part of that and what, it, what probably caused me to lose the most weight over there? One, healthier food. Oh, I was yeah. eating at the German dining facility, the DFAC, which meant a whole lot of pork and a whole lot of vegetables. That's basically all that was available each Basically day. the paleo diet. And then, because 10th Mountain Division wanted to essentially, they had no control over us, which kind of stuck in their craw because we were Americans, but they didn't have control over us operationally. The one thing they were allowed control over is where we slept. So they put us in a Navy EOD tent that was 
a good location for when the EOD guys were there. Uh, for us, not so much. It was like a mile and a half away from where we worked. So I was walking three miles a day back and forth to work. And then oftentimes going out to shoot helicopters, climbing up in the mountains and all that stuff. So it was a good workout over there. But no PRT. That wasn't required. Yeah. Also, you know what wasn't required over there for us? Tell me if this is the same for the Army. Advancement exams. Like for the, uh, particularly for me as a petty officer first class, I was automatically eligible for advancement to chief because I was in Afghanistan. No, we had, we had promotion board. You had to do a promotion board? <laughs> I sent one oh. of my soldiers to a promotion board and they're sitting there. He's in full battle rattle. He's already dismantled, you know, a 240, a 50 cal. And then the sergeant major looks at him and says, okay, specialist uh, McClendon, give me an IV. As he's sitting there, the sergeant major rolls his sleeve up and says, give me an IV. And I don't know if you've ever tried to give an IV under that kind of pressure, but it's not the most easy I've thing. never tried to give one. That's what corpsmen are for. We don't do that. <laughs> uh, every soldier is a basic combat lifesaver. Yeah, no, I had to go through the combat lifesaver course, but IVs were not a part of it. We never had to do an IV. We had to do the... Uh, you know, popping a popping the uh, the little needle into the chest between chest the ribs. Yeah, the decompression had to do that. We had to do the the little tube up the nose thing. Whatever. The oh, we have called. one guy volunteer for that, and it yeah, was horrible to we watch. We did too. Horrifying. Uh, he was a he was an avi. So when I went through training, it was all navy people in our group, and and some coast guard, uh, some coasties as well. And uh, this one sailor, he was a third class, and I think he was so he was probably the lowest ranking person in our group. I was the LPO, so I was the senior. Uh, Petty officer. He was a petty officer, third class. He was uh, heading to, I think, Iraq someplace, and he was an aviation structural mechanic by trade, but I don't know what he was going to do in Iraq because he wasn't doing that job, and he volunteered, and we all looked at him. We were like, Navy is an acronym, man. Never again volunteer yourself. He went up there. They jammed that thing up his nose and down his throat, and yeah, the dry heaving and crying and all that stuff. Not crying like weeping, but just tears coming yeah, out of his gummy eyes. tears falling just, down and snot. Uh. Oh, it was gross. But yeah, Combat Lifesaver was uh, that was a fascinating course uh, to have to go through. But yeah, the IV thing. Now nah, we didn't have to do any testing while we were in Afghanistan. They figured uh, being there was uh, enough of an issue for us. So, you know, had that going on for ourselves. Speaking of issues, do you remember, Jake, last year when we were talking about the uh, VA hospital out in Colorado? Oh, uh, yeah, the one, the one that we thought would never be complete. This is the Rocky Mountain Regional VA Medical Center. $1.7 billion it took to build the thing. Well, it's made it through nearly a decade of management blunders, legal battles, federal investigations, congressional hearings, and so on and so forth. This is the one that made lawmakers so irritated that they took the authority to manage big projects like this in the future away from the VA and gave it to the Army's Corps of Engineers. <laughs> so the fact that they were like, you know, the VA is doing this and the VA, they're government employees, but they're civilians. It's very, and as we've seen before, even with the Whistleblower and, uh, and Accountability Protection Act, it's very hard to hold them accountable for <laughs> for anything, it seems. Uh, it's gotten a little bit easier with that Whistleblower and Accountability Act, but the Corps of Engineers... There are some civilians, many civilians that work there, but there are a lot of soldiers that work there. Who It's a little bit easier to hold them accountable uh, for what's going on. This thing took forever, but outpatient services will begin moving from the old hospital in Denver to this new facility on July 27th. That's only three days away. Hospitalized veterans, so those in the hospital in Denver, will be moved over starting August 4th. 
It's in Aurora, which is a suburb to the east of Denver. It's a dozen large buildings connected by a long, soaring glass-walled corridor. From above, it looks like square leaves growing from a vine. Oh, that's great. If I'm ever hovering above the VA, I'll be like, oh, I'm glad that they did that. Yeah, I can't get care, but hey, at least the building looks like stone leaves. Looks like square leaves growing from a vine. Who cares about the aesthetic value of the place? Just Build it. Get it done and make it effective and efficient. No one cares what it looks like from the outside. That's ridiculous. And that's what took most of the money, I think. And that's a big part of why the Army Corps of Engineers now yeah. has uh, future control. Didn't it go projects. like a billion dollars over budget? Yeah, it was something like that. It was $1.7 billion to make it. So a billion dollars over would mean they have planned for $700 million, which uh, I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, Congress eventually, let me read through the story here. Uh, okay, the est- yeah, more than that. The agency estimated in 2009 that they could build the hospital for $537 million and be done by 2013. Of course, now it is 2018, so five years past their estimated date of completion, and $1.7 billion, which is about $1.2 billion more than they had planned. So according to a number of investigations is that VA officials opted for a lavish design and used a complicated contract that they didn't even fully understand, failing to get the designers and builders to agree on plans and costs, didn't oversee the work closely enough. Again, this lavish design, like, oh, from above, it looks like grape leaves falling off of a a waterfall into a decanter filled with angel tear. Who cares? (laughs) Does it work? Can people get medical health care there? Does it cost less than you had planned or at what you had planned? No, no, and no? Well, then great. Take your stupid leaf windows and shove them. Yeah. Where? Don't care. Just shove them someplace. That's all I have to say about that. It's it's ridiculous that this is 2006 they hired the design team, so it took 12 years from design team to now to get this open and went $1.2 billion, with a B, dollars over budget. It's it's ridiculous. And, of course, you know one of the things when they talk about, well, you know, they wanted to make it attractive so it was more inviting. What? What? So you know, you know what I find inviting? Yeah. Actual working healthcare and yeah. a pharmacy that doesn't take five hours and counselors that can actually get me the care I need. That's inviting. You know what? Uh, so here's what the executive director of VFW Post One in Denver had to say. Post One, first one, I guess. John Keane, he's a Marine Corps veteran, said the old hospital, kind of dingy and depressing with a dreary military feel. And then he told the AP, quote, I've heard anecdotally that some veterans don't use the VA because just walking into the facility can bring back memories. Okay. I mean, I, I don't know, man. I don't get it. I don't get it. This reminds me of being in the... What doesn't remind you of being in the military? I mean, there's a lot of things. I went to beautiful buildings also while I was in the military. You know, yeah. the Defense Information School is a lovely facility. I, the, the fact that if dingy, okay, that means dirty. If it's dirty, clean it. Depressing, you know what's depressing to me? Sitting in a building that costs $1.7 billion and uh, thinking about all the money that was lost, all the time that was lost, and trying to uh, uh, figure out how your health care is going to be any better. So it's basically, you know, putting uh, putting new shutters on an old rundown house is what they're doing. Yeah. And the house is the medical care. That's the problem. The medical care and, and, and again, 
typically not the actual medical care, but the bureaucracy of it when it comes to getting to an appointment. And as you said, the pharmacies at these places are notorious. I went for an ear infection and had to get like a moxicillin or something like that. Of course, they couldn't let me go to CVS out in town, which was two seconds from my house and would have it ready by the time I got there. I had to sit at the pharmacy at the Northport, New York VA for three and a half hours, something like that, just staring at the thing, watching awful, awful midday television, all for like a basic, basic prescription. This wasn't something where they had to go into a special vault and get me amoxicillin. Come on, man. This is this is very simple stuff. But hey, what if maybe if the hospital were more uh, inviting, maybe if they had windows that look like leaves on a vine, I would have not cared that I sat there for three and a half hours. Yeah, at hours. least the building would be pretty to look at. Yeah, that's great. Good, because they're probably going to be sitting there for a long time looking at it when they're yep. waiting for prescriptions and when they're trying to get into an appointment. Or the time we've also talked about on this show several times where I checked in for an appointment, sat there, started watching a movie, Con Air, on TBS or TNT or one of those, and realized, oh, I started watching at the beginning of this movie. You know the beginning of Con Air where they show, uh, it's like footage of the Rangers in battle in uh, in Operation Desert Storm, I think. And then they show the, the little title screen like, Rangers never leave a man behind and blah, blah, blah. Okay, there you go. Started watching it at that. And I was like, oh, cool, beginning of the movie. Then the end credits start rolling and I realize I still haven't been seen for my appointment. This is an hour and a half movie with the commercials. So you're talking like two hours, two and a half hours. I went to go check out on that, and they said, oh, well, you never checked in. Really? Here's my name in the book. You just got back from a vacation to Costa Rica because while I was signing in, you were talking to him about that. Apparently, you guys were so concerned about discussing your vacations, you weren't concerned about paying attention to the people that you're supposed to be serving coming in here to sign in. Also, read your book. Why do you have a login book if you're not going to check it? Someone didn't show up to an appointment, and then you look and see that they signed in. That may be on you. But anyway... Things like that, when, when we have so many of these stories coming out of so many of the VAs, and then you hear about this facility opening up five years after they planned, $1.2 billion over budget, it's more of the same. And it's another example of the bureaucracy of the VA being incompetent, at best incompetent, if not just dangerous and willfully awful, because you would hope that they didn't do this on purpose, but $1.2 billion over and five years late, that's a level of incompetence that if you're that incompetent, it is willful because you never tried to get good at your job. You never tried to figure out what would be the best way to go about this. I mean, it's, oh God, it's got new services that the old hospital in denver doesn't that's great clinics for spinal cord injuries mammographies pet scans for cancer prosthetics aquatic therapy that's all wonderful but why are we waiting five years after we were told we would and 1.2 billion dollars over budget to get there it doesn't make any sense to me well i take that back it makes perfect sense to me and anytime i hear someone saying the VA is totally awful, and boy, do I hear those people. They're on Twitter, and some of them are lunatics. I disagree with them. I disagree just as much with everybody saying that the VA is like, oh, the VA, they're just, you know, they, they're the best. They're the best. No, they provide good care. In some cases, it's equivalent to that out in the civilian world. But when it comes to the bureaucracy and the nonsense, they're second to none in awfulness. Awfulness. Of course, we have a new secretary of the VA, I think the first order of business for him should be trying to figure out how to get rid of those problems, how to figure out why the pharmacy at CVS 
with the same number of people working in it is able to get your prescription in half an hour, 20 minutes from when you have your appointment. Whereas the VA pharmacies, and I, I've never heard of anybody having a good experience at a VA pharmacy, a good quick experience similar to what you get out in the civilian world. Why did it take me two and a half hours to get amoxicillin? Why does it take so long for people sitting there? I mean, this is, it's, it's, it's insane. It's ridiculous. And let's hope that Wilkie can, uh, can fix that. I don't Hopefully. know if he can. I don't know if he can because I don't. I think that's more on a local level. I think that has to do with the individual places. But I do think that when it's a common problem nationwide, like with the the pharmacies and with appointment wait times and stuff like that, that then there has to be something you can do on the national level as the secretary of the VA uh, to start fixing it. But I I just don't know, man. I don't know if that stuff is fixable. The government is notorious for bureaucracy. We saw it in the military. I, I know you did. You were in the Army, and every time I had to deal with the Army, I worked for the Army at one, two, three, three or four different commands, and it was just like, oh, my God. Yep. I had to fill out a form to request a form to fill out a form. It was, it was, it was insanity, and the VA, I mean, there's good things about having veterans who work at the VA, but some of the bad things as well where they're used to that way of what? We need this form and this form and this form. Reminds me of Hermes. From the show Futurama, who was a professional bureaucrat, oh, his yeah. whole job was just stamping papers and things like that. I mean, it's 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 infuriating. It's insanity at times, and we'll see what Robert Wilkie can do about that. Coming up in a little while, we're going to talk to Justin Brown, founder and CEO of Hill Vets, about that Wilkie confirmation. It's going to be a big topic on the show this week. We're going to get the opinions of each of the VSOs that we talk to every week. Of course, we got the American Legion tomorrow, AMVETS the day after. Speaking of AMVETS, did you hear what happened to Joe Chanelli last yeah, night? Yeah, apparently someone is uh, sh- pretending to be him on Twitter. So I get a, a, a follow on Twitter, and if you're a veteran and you follow me and you're not a crazy person and you follow me, I typically follow you back. I follow it back. Then I realize, wait a second, Joe Chanelli, and I look at the thing, and it's only got 23 followers. It's, it's him in the picture. It's got the same bio, and I was like, but it's the same bio that I know from his Twitter account. Then a message comes from it and it says, Hey, I say, yo, how are you? Dot, dot, dot. I'm fine. Then it says, I am good as well. God has blessed me and blah, 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 blah. And I hope God showers blessings upon you too. But God has answered my prayers today. And I responded, he made you a sailor. (laughs) <laughs> take that marine uh of course i messaged joe and said hey uh, i'm guessing you don't have a new uh twitter account do you he said no why and i sent him the, i sent him the handle for it he went and looked he's like oh can you report that please so i did report it but yeah it's one of those things where uh i don't it was probably a scam of some sort trying to get me money or get me to click on a link um don't because we all know that if joe chanelli called you asking for money That'd be the way to get to you. Yeah, I don't, and I don't, I don't know what the scam was exactly. It sounded, you know, based on the uh, the writing, it was someone not in the United States, uh, just fishing basically and hoping, and and it uh, it doesn't doesn't work. Thankfully, I know what I'm doing with that stuff, but uh, you need to be careful out there. And just because it says it's somebody that you're following on social media doesn't necessarily mean that it actually is. You can follow Jake on Twitter. He's at Jake the Army Guy. I am at 
my name, Eric Dame, E-R-I-C-D-E-H-M. And we're on there putting out good content, slinging tent every day. We uh, put up yesterday the on Connecting Vets, and that's the one you should really follow, at Connecting Vets. We put up the story on uh, based around my interview with Nick Francona, who was fired by the New York Mets. He says for asking questions about where the money for Major League Baseball's uh, sales of military-themed apparel goes, uh, we did a whole story. I talked to the Mets. I talked to the major leagues. Major League said no truth to the accusation that they had pressured the Mets to fire him. Uh, the Mets would not comment on personnel issues. Uh, they said that they typically don't. Uh, they said, you know, our veterans programs will be second to none. Okay. Uh, and then uh, MLB talked about the, they talked about essentially the program that they have. And they sent over a press release saying 100% of the royalties from their military-themed apparel sales for the things from Memorial Day, the uniforms the teams wear on Memorial Day, will go to TAPS and Folds of Honor, two great organizations. Minimum collective donations, that means combined $500,000. I was doing a little bit of the math, and that just, I don't know, man. I don't think that adds up. And when you say royalties, that means they're paying the license royalties, so the fees paid by licensees to use Major League Baseball's trademarks. The question Nick Francona has is, that's great. Well, what does that amount to? How much do you donate? And how does that compare to the total sales? And how much money is MLB taking in? So I guess his point is, if it's a $125 jersey that someone's buying and $5 is going to those charities, what's going to... He wants to know what's going where on those. Major League Baseball uh, doesn't want to release those numbers, and that's their prerogative, but there are a lot of questions about that. And you can check that out and so much more on ConnectingVets.com and by following us on social media, where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Coming up next, Mansoor Shams, the Muslim Marine. Going to talk to him about building bridges between Islam and Americans. Yeah. It's a really fascinating thing. Building a bridge between Islam and non-Islamic Americans, I should say, because Mansoor, about as American as they come. The Marine Corps veteran and Muslim based out of Baltimore is doing some incredible things. We're going to find out about those right after this morning briefing. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at ConnectingVets. Welcome back to The Morning Briefing. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer and ConnectingVets.com. That's your website, my friend. Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com is doing everything we can to connect vets every day. And the reason we do it is that each and every one of us knows what it's like to have worn that uniform and, just as importantly, knows what it's like to have taken it off for that last time. Because we are all veterans of the United States military, and we want to make sure you are living your best veteran's life. So we're giving you the news the information, the benefit notifications that we think you need to know about, the think you should know about, and the think you'd want to know about. So visit ConnectingVets.com and be sure to follow us on social media. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Little click of your mouse or tap on your phone and you'll be living that best veteran's life before you know it. Speaking of veterans... My next guest is one of those. He's a veteran of the United States Marine Corps, and he's now 
bit of a renaissance man. He's doing a lot of things. We're talking community activism. We're talking bringing people together. We're talking running a business, speaking engagements. You'll see him on news stations around the country like CNN, MSNBC. How about the BBC, New York Times, Washington Post, Baltimore. I could keep going on and on and on, but we've only got 25 minutes to talk to Mansoor Shams, Corporal Shams, as it used to be. Mansoor, good morning. How are you today? Good morning to you. Thank you so much for that introduction. <laughs> so it's it's impressive what you've been able to do. But first, let's talk about what you used to do. So tell me about your Marine Corps career, you know, where you're from, when you joined, and what you did in the Corps. Right, right. So I came to uh, the United States of America at the age of six or seven years old. Uh, I'd say about 1988, 89. I became a citizen of the United States uh, around 92 or 93 time frame. Um, and a little bit after, well, not a little bit after, but almost at the completion of high school, I signed up to join the United States Marine Corps. What was it about the Marine Corps that made you do it? Was it, did you think, oh, cool, I'm going to get to take a sword and kill dragons like in the commercial? Or, or what was it that made you choose the Corps overall? Well, you know, I, I came from a broken home, so life was a bit challenging, I'd say. And I took the ASVAB test, um, actually under our Navy recruiter, to be very oh, honest. Wow. Uh, but I felt like, you know, I wanted to sort of accomplish something. And the few, the proud, uh, that uniform <laughs> of the Marine Corps, just being the best, I I don't want, sorry, I don't want to say anything to anybody else uh, who served. Of course, that's you the feeling to be that the that's the feeling that I got, and I wanted to sort of accomplish something and become my own man. And the Marine Corps was that way for me. I could tell you wanted to be the best. That's why you went to a Navy recruiter, but <laughs> then you ended up joining the Marine Corps. So that happens. But Marine Corps does a great job of selling what they are. And you know what? What the Marine Corps does kind of sells itself to a lot of people who are looking for that specific thing that the Marine Corps offers that the other services don't. You served in the Marine Corps for how long? I served for four years. That's right. And what do you remember about that last day, taking off that Eagle Globe and Anchor and moving out into the civilian world? What do you remember about that point of time in your life? I think uh, while there's always a level of excitement after having served, uh, there's always also this this level of sadness. Uh, you, you know, as much as you want to go ahead and you know get out and get back to your family and you know uh, the, the the world that you actually lived in at one point. Uh, there's a sadness uh, because now you've become used to this brotherhood, this family, mm. uh, this system, uh, you know, which is a Marine Corps base. And, and getting out of that is not the most easiest thing in the world. What do you remember that helped you get through that process of, you know, four years of being a Marine? That's a long time and it gets burned into your soul and you're always a Marine after that. But when you no longer have that camaraderie, you no longer have that Marine Corps infrastructure kind of telling you what to do every day. What got you through that? You know, I, I think veterans face this challenge uh, every day uh, as they get out of the service, uh, regardless of what service that you, you serve in. I, I happen to serve in the Marine Corps, and the Marine Corps definitely is a lifestyle. It's a, it's a way of life. And, you know, you're used to the 1st and the 15th paycheck. Uh, you're <laughs> used to, you know, if you have a fever or whatever, you go to medical. Everything's on base, you know. Yeah. Uh, and now you're on your own. Uh, you have to figure everything out on yourself. Uh, it, it's not very easy. I think uh, what helped me in my particular case was that I, while, while I was serving, I completed my undergraduate education. I think I'm probably one of those few percentage uh, that when I joined the service, uh, I also joined uh, a degree program hmm. um, at Campbell University. So uh, it was interesting that when I got out of the Marine Corps, like September, October timeframe of 2004, uh, I came back in December that year to graduate uh, off of uh, that stage wow. at Campbell University. So I had no life while I was in the Marine Corps, uh, you know, <laughs> but that's uh, but I was able to accomplish that degree, which was 
pretty awesome. You don't need a life. You have the Eagle Globe and Anchor, and that is your life for while you're in the Marine Corps. That's and when it comes to an end, it can be difficult. And I, I've found that it's, it's I think for Marines, sometimes more difficult because it's a more regimented lifestyle than it That's is right. in any of the other branches. It is. Of course, you got out. You've gone on to do some pretty amazing things. You're a business owner. You are uh, an activist. You are someone who's doing a lot of great things in the community uh, in Baltimore, where you live, and around the country. What was your goal when you got out of the Marine Corps? Is this what the goal was, or did this kind of happen organically? This definitely happened organically. I, I don't think I would ever, I was ever thinking of calling myself the Muslim Marine. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2015, I founded uh, MuslimMarine.org. Uh, if you can't tell from the the web address, uh, I'm a Muslim and I'm also a U.S. Marine. And it, it's uh, it's a pretty uh, interesting path. Uh, after I came out of the Marine Corps, I went, actually went to work in the federal government. Uh, as an assistant to the chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission, um, uh, Bill Donaldson, uh, who also happened uh, to be a Marine. He kind of hired me right on the spot. Uh, in 2008, 2011, I went into graduate school, did a double master's, a master's in government and an MBA, uh, and then I went into business. Uh, but in 2015 uh, is where uh, I take another uh, turn, um, sort of based on the circumstances of the country and things that were taking place where Muslims were seen as the other, mm-hmm. uh, uh, as the bad guy, as the terrorist, as bin Laden, and so on, as ISIS. And I felt uh, as uh, someone who uh, proudly served, uh, honorably discharged, uh, who also proudly professes Islamic faith, uh, that it was my responsibility now to come out uh, and showcase to America another narrative, that you know someone with brown skin, black beard, uh, professing the Muslim faith is not necessarily a terrorist to, as some may think, uh, he could also be a United States Marine. Conversely, along with you offering that conduit for people where you do have the Marine Corps background, which is something that I think the vast majority of Americans respect, understand, and appreciate. And then if they don't understand, respect, and appreciate your, your Muslim faith, your background in that aspect, it, it's a conduit for you to be able to talk to them about it. Does it work the other way too? I know there are some in the Muslim community who uh, don't look all that favorably on the U.S. military because of some things that have happened over the years. Uh, does it work both ways as far as you being a Muslim and a Marine? Uh, you know, I agree that there are definitely some challenges. Um you know, at, at, at the basic level, uh, that is, what does Islam say? You know, I have to go out ba- based on that. And Islam teaches that, uh, according to the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him, that loyalty to your country of residence is a part of your faith. Hmm. So there's no conflict of interest of me becoming a United States Marine or me uh, being a Muslim. Uh, for those that have those issues, uh, my answer in general is that um, I think if we look at the demographic or dynamic of any country, let's say, Let's take, for example, Saudi Arabia or mm-hmm. uh, Iran right now. Uh, what they find is that you'll find that these pe- these are Muslim nations, Muslim-majority nations. And uh, if I was a Saudi you know, a citizen or an Iranian citizen, I would be serving uh, that military. You right. know? But, and I think most of us can agree, living in 2018, that many governments across this world that we live in aren't uh, according to the standard that we'd want them to be. Mm. Uh, Saudi Arabia as is at war with Yemen and Iran, uh, but a Saudi soldier is going to serve his country uh, because that's what his faith teaches him to be. Just like an Iranian soldier is going to serve his country because that's what faith teaches him to be. 
they're not going to be like, hey, you know, come give me a hug, man, um, you know, <laughs> and throw out their weapons uh, when the two nations are at war. Now, are, are the wars justified? No, I think we can all debate, you know, where that is, you know, just like we can debate with the United States of America. And of course, I do take issue with, and I have no problem saying that, with things like the Iraq war, you know, where uh, a million people are dead because of the actions of uh, a president uh, who, I guess I have to say, who's incompetent to a certain extent. Uh, I served during the time of that president. Uh, this is controversial to some, but I can't, uh, I can't deny what I see in front of my eyes. And I think as an American, as a United States Marine veteran, I have every right to state to uh, my, uh, my fellow Americans my displeasure uh, with what took place uh, when there's a million people dead uh, in a country uh, where there was never any weapons of mass destruction. I'd say you absolutely do have that right, and maybe even more so because you wore that uniform. I mean, listen, there are people who disagree with each other within the military, from outside the military, but you know, I think if people were to walk up to you and say, who are you to criticize uh, the United States like that, you can say, I'm a United States Marine. That's mm. who I am to criticize the United States like that. I think, I, I just want to add on that. I think there's a problem actually in America uh, that we need to sort of uh, come, uh, come to uh, terms with. Uh, that is when we look at someone like myself, uh, because I happen to be Muslim, who happens to criticize, and now now we start questioning that person's loyalty. Mm. I think it's a very dangerous area. Um, I, I don't think we allow that to happen in uh, in other realms, or I think actually maybe we do, but we shouldn't allow that to that conversation to happen. Just because I disagree with something doesn't mean that I'm not loyal or sincere or that I don't love my nation. I think criticism is a part of the package. I think that's a form of patriotism, mm. to be very honest. And I think the majority of people who are uh, those who would like to do something destructive and, and damaging and violent towards the United States, the people that live here, are military, they're probably not going to be trying to bring too much attention to themselves by talking about the problems. Right. That's not particularly what they're interested in. We're talking to someone who's interested in talking, at building bridges, and creating understanding between Two communities that he's a part of, the military and veteran community, as well as the Muslim community. He is Mansoor Shams, and MuslimMarine.org is his website. A question for you. Does it surprise you how few of us that spent time in Islamic-majority countries, I, I did a year in Afghanistan, there are plenty of people who are in Iraq, there are places in Africa, Asia, where we have spent so much time. Does it does it shock you how many of us that were over there still have, um, I guess, little understanding of what Islam and the Muslim faith is about? And as you said, the differences between, I mean, Afghanistan and Iraq, there are a lot of people who think of them as almost the same place. No, <laughs> they don't speak the same languages. One of them is in the Middle East, one is not. I mean, Muslim is not this blanket thing where, as you said, everybody looks like you do, where they have tan skin and a beard. There are Muslims all over the world. There are Asian Muslims, African Muslims. I, does it shock you how many veterans still don't have a full understanding of the Islamic world? The short answer is yes, I, I do. Uh, you know, you would think with that level of experience that you would. Uh, and I think that's exactly why I do what I do. Um, I think uh, being someone who is Muslim, being someone who is a United States Marine, uh, I'm in that very unique position to sort of bridge the gaps and create conversation and dialogue and also educate both sides uh, I think recently, you may have heard, I invited uh, General Neller uh, of the, the U.S. Marine Corps, the commandant, the current commandant of the Marine Corps, uh, to my mosque um, in, uh, in Baltimore. Uh, he accepted uh, my invitation, and I'd been in touch with him for some time. We'd exchanged emails, and finally it dawned on me to uh, have him over. 
uh, during that exchange of emails, uh, there were sometimes questions uh, either raised by his staff or uh, I think sort of, I can't remember if it was him specifically, that were sort of shocking. You know, I would think that they would know certain things. You know, I, I remember one of the questions were, was around his wife being able to come or not. And I said, of course, you know, his wife is welcome to come to the mosque. You know, why wouldn't she be, you know? But I could tell that in their mind or in someone's mind in, in his team, there was this um, uh, lack of understanding uh, mm. that, you know, could his wife join him for that dinner and, and for Ramadan? Uh, and I... I, I I have to say, I was shocked because, you know, you have the commandant of the Marine Corps. And I think certain, on one side, I'm thinking, okay, he must know it all, but maybe, you know, they don't. So uh, there is clearly, clearly a disconnect and, um, I, I, and it's at, at the top levels. I think it has to do, and tell me if you agree with this or not, the fact that normal things don't make the news. And that goes for everything. Guy walking down the street not making the news Hmm. guy walking down the street naked with his hair on fire. He's going to be on the news. So I think when people think of a mosque, they often think of the story of some dark building with nefarious plotting in the basement. And there are places around the world where men and women are not allowed in the same areas. I mean, we know that to be a fact, but Hmm. because those different things are so publicized, do you think that leads to part of the misunderstanding where we hear about the extreme and don't think about the average? Uh, I think it's, you have a point there. Um, it's, it's interesting. You mentioned that your own visits to countries like Afghanistan. And I, it was, I think, and I, I you know, I, I, my research so far, all right, so uh, don't quote me on this, but <laughs> I'll say it, okay? I don't, I, I don't think a sitting commandant of the United States Marine Corps has ever visited a U.S. mosque. Hmm. Very, very interesting, let alone a four-star general. I'm not talking about an uh, iftar dinner at the White House or, or at the Pentagon. Right. I'm talking about visiting a U.S. mosque. You may have visited a mosque overseas uh, while you were you know, in, in, in that part of the world, but isn't that interesting, right? Yeah. And so I, as, I, as much as I researched, I tried to find something. On, I couldn't find anything online uh, showing this. Uh, so again, going back to your point, I think it's extremely true. Uh, Right now, what's get, what gets reported is you have to like. If I did something crazy, you know, God forbid. Oh yeah. Oh, God, I'm sure I'd I'd be known by <laughs> the Muslim Marine would be known by everybody in the world. Oh yeah, it would, <laughs> and, it, and it would happen fast. And it's yeah, yeah. It's it's the fact that there are. I don't want to say isolated incidents, but there are incidents few and far between that are terrorism that's carried out in the name of Islam. And I know there are arguments within the Islamic community, and I think the majority of Muslims within the United States say. That's not Islam. You know, that's right. Driving over people with a truck uh, is not Islam. That's Shooting right. people, blowing... That's not what this is all about. Yeah. Uh, there are a small minority that think, yes, that's exactly what it's about. And from the outside, again, it's what you see on the news. You're not going to see uh, in New York City where we had a, a lunatic drive a vehicle uh, down a sidewalk and kill some people about a year and a half ago. You're not going to see the story of the, you know, the little uh, bodega owner who's from Afghanistan, who's helping kids in his neighborhood who might not be able to afford, uh, you know, their 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 food. He's helping them out with that. It's again those extreme examples are the ones that make the news. One thing that I know you're trying to do to change this through MuslimMarine.org, your website. We're speaking to the founder of that, Marine Corps veteran Mansour Shams. Mansour Shams. Well, I'm got man. I'm tongue tied today. I don't know why is that you have done things like just as simple as walking around with a sign that says, I'm a Marine and a Muslim. Ask me anything. What has that experience been like for you? 
Oh, that was one of the campaigns that I uh, did last year, um, and I visited 24 states. Uh, so I, I almost I wanted to say half the United States, but I was technically 24. Uh, but yeah, it was it was. Uh, I'm a Muslim and a U.S. Marine. Ask anything, and it was really just to engage people in conversation. Uh, pretty much throw something in someone's face and say, "Hey, you know, you may have one perspective of someone who looks like me or believes my faith, but here's another perspective that you need to know about." And regardless if someone came up to me and asked me a question during that time, I felt that even the people that were walking by and noticed that sign. Um, they were thinking, they were scratching their heads. They were, you know, every, we all have different personalities. Some people are talkers and some people are not. But I can tell you, uh, you walked away with a message and at least a little bit of knowledge and education that, you know what, uh, Marines come as Muslims too. What was the most common question that you got from people in those 24 states while you were doing that? Uh, a, a lot of the questions, um, I would say Sharia law uh, is a big one because <laughs> that term gets thrown out like left and right and people have no clue what the heck that means. Yeah. Uh, they don't know that it just means a path to life-giving water. Now, I mean, think about that for a second. A path to life-giving water, Sharia law, it tells me uh, not to fornicate, not to commit adultery, not to drink alcohol. It's sort of a personal moral code for me as an individual to live by. And that's it. And uh, yeah. uh, and people don't know that. When it's instituted by someone like the Taliban, where their version of Sharia law, which was horrifying. We saw it. We saw women executed in soccer stadiums. By the way, that was about the only time they were allowed in soccer stadiums under that government rule there. it's That's the extreme. How do you think we help people understand that that's an extreme version of what this is, and it's not the average everyday person like yourself and the attendees of your mosque and what they're dealing with? Well, I think that question uh, assumes somehow that... The, uh, that uh, the Taliban know it. They know their faith and mm. that they're practicing their faith. See, that's, that's, I think that's the biggest that's good point. Uh, that's the biggest thing here. I think Americans need to understand that just like we have extremist groups right here in the United States of America, oh, yeah. uh, according to the FBI, we talk about white supremacy as one of the biggest terrorist groups here in America. Uh, you know, I don't associate every white person with a terrorist. I don't, at least when I walk around the street, you know, uh, I, every time there's a school shooting, I don't, I, I just hold my breath and I hope it's not a Muslim or someone who associates themselves with as a Muslim faith, uh, but it, I, you know, the, the thing is, we, we have to really f- change the way we are thinking. You know, there's a book that I read. It's called "Change Your Brain, Change Your Life," and it talks about how anytime a negative thought enters your mind, let's say you know you're a white person and you look at black people a certain way, or you're a black person and you look at white people a certain way, you're walking down the street. The moment that thought enters your mind, instead of ignoring it, like you know, whatever prejudice that you have, whatever negativity you have. Talk to that thought and say, no, you know what? I don't think black people are bad. I don't think white people are bad. I don't believe Muslims are bad. That that person is bad. This person did that. But not everybody is bad, right? So the book is pretty much saying in order to catch yourself, uh, and this is every day we feel these things. You know, you can be walking down the hall and you have a thought about somebody else uh, for whatever reason. They're saying instead of just letting that thought go, because if you let it go, it becomes a part of you. You don't realize it at that moment. It's becoming a part of you. It's saying, talk to it and say, you know what? No, I am not this. No, this is not what I think. Some people, as you said, just kind of ignore those thoughts. And there's, as as hard as it is, I think, for us to, to grasp, there's something natural and genetic about people of, we all came originally from small groups and we wanted to defend our groups from someone else. The other people look different, so you knew that they were bad. Historically, that was kind of a thing, but people have evolved past that for the most part, and I think there's something still in our DNA way back where something that looks different from you, it it gives you an uneasy feeling at first. 
we've been able to get past a lot of things that genetically people are programmed to do. And hate, I think to some extent, is one thing that people are kind of programmed to do that we've worked mostly out of our system, but not fully yet. Mm. How do you think we reach the people who are the farthest from getting that out of their system? The people who they see brown skin, beard, Oh, I know what that guy is. Hey, keep an eye on him. He's going to try and shoot somebody or blow something up. Don't let him rent a van or anything like that. There are people out there who think that way. How do we reach them or is it even possible? I think it's really about conversation and dialogue, something that I've been promoting. I've been going out there, putting myself out there. Uh, you know, it's interesting that you say that. I, I want to remind uh, the listeners that this is happening on both sides of the aisle, by the way. Oh, yeah. There's people that are of my faith that look like me and they're fearing that that white guy. You know, you know, and for whatever reason, oh, that he thinks this of them, or he it's thinks, happened. You know, so and on the <laughs> on the other side of things, they're fearing that person. I think it to it comes down to really not knowing each other, so fearing what you do not know, right? Right. So, what Muslim Marine, as a founder of MuslimMarine.org, what I endeavor to do is try to get out to as many people as possible. I think the more that people know of each other, the better that it is. Um, actually, uh, recently in, in the month of Ramadan, I ran an initiative. It's called the 2929 Ramadan Initiative, where I paired veterans uh, to spend a night at the home of a Muslim. Mm. Uh, it got a lot of attention. It was, it was really well received. And these veterans went and spent a night at the home of a random Muslim person, uh, a, a whole night at their house, uh, a sleepover. Uh, so there's a poll out there that 60 per, over 60% of Americans have never met a Muslim. Uh, I'm thinking of now another uh, initiative right now. I'm in the works of it. I'm about to release it very soon. How can I help bridge that gap um, and bring other people together? Because I think at the end of the day, it's about bringing people together. The more that people know of one another, those fears are less eliminated. It's interesting. I remember being stationed with a buddy who was from the Southwest, and he made a comment about something that was on TV at my house and said something about Jews. Hmm. And I was like, how many Jews did you know growing up out there in, you know, in, in the Southwest? He's like, well, I don't really know any. I was like, well, then where's this coming from, man? I grew up in the Northeast. I grew up in a place with a very high Jewish population. And what you just said is absolutely not true. And that made him think about it. But I think it's easy to forget that there are people who kind of isolate themselves or by geography are isolated from other groups where if you're from Oklahoma, you may never have met a Jewish person in your life. You may never have met a Muslim. You may never have met a Sikh. You may uh, equate Sikhs and Muslims. There are a lot of people who don't know the difference between what a Sikh and a Muslim is. Yes. Post 9-11, most of the violence that we saw post 9-11 was actually aimed towards Sikh people because they wear turbans. That's right. And that's associated with Islam, incorrectly in many cases. Uh, just fascinating stuff and the work that you're doing Mansoor is uh, is excellent to get people to actually interact with each other because that tends to be the key when you start talking to someone uh, unless they're just a bad person that you don't get along with it's usually you come to an understanding about each other Mansoor Shams is the founder of Muslim Marine. He is a Marine Corps veteran, and he's doing a lot of good things and doing a lot of informative things out there. Mansoor, if people want to find out more about what you're doing, if they want to get involved with what you're doing, if there's a fellow Muslim who served or someone who's not a Muslim who served and wants to create this kind of interaction with their community, how do they go about doing so? Very simple. Uh, I'm very accessible. Uh, MuslimMarine.org is the way to get in touch with me. Uh, I, I don't have anyone checking my email box. Uh, if you go there and send me an email or a message, I will get it directly to my email box. Uh, uh, social media uh, is Twitter at Mansoor, M-A-N-S-O-O-R-T as in Tom, Shams, S-H-A-M-S. 
uh, I'm there as well. I, you know, I, people ask me, you know, like uh, even on Facebook, I get these random friend requests. A lot of people have told me, don't do that. Don't accept everybody. But yeah. I do accept everybody. The reason for that is because I want to make myself accessible. I don't want to just be seen as the guy that's on the, on the radio show or the TV screens or behind a podium. I really, really uh, sincerely want to help bridge these gaps. And so feel comfortable that if you're able to get to the website and reach out an email, even if it's a basic question, even if you want to have a talk on the phone, we will do it. We'll make it happen. Mansoor Shams, muslimmarine.org is the website. And thank you so much for joining us on the morning briefing. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to The Morning Briefing, Tuesday, July 24th, 2018 edition. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer in ConnectingVets.com. That's your website. Created by veterans for veterans, focusing on the veteran experience. Here to tell you about benefits available to you. Here to tell you about the news we think you need to know. Here to tell you about the cool stuff taking place around this country that veterans are doing or that is being done for veterans. It's all available on ConnectingVets.com. And my voice, ooh, I think I... I think I just went through puberty. That was very strange. But you can find it all at the website or by following us on social media where we are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guest is the founder and CEO of Hill Vets. Please welcome Justin Brown to the studio. Justin, how are you this morning? Oh, I'm doing really well, y'all. Uh, I just am really enjoying my Ooh. vegan diet because I uh, <laughs> I don't like to eat cheese and it gives me gas, so I decided not to eat it. Jake going hard at Justin Brown. Justin is not we feeling well. We love Justin. Justin's not feeling well today. He was actually at the VFW convention, just got back, I think this morning, and uh, appears to have picked something up. And, uh, Concrud. Not going to be able to make it in. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's something that I imagine you've been through because you... Jakerton Huserton have some nerdily pursuits, I guess is the best way to put it, right? Well, one or two. Like, uh, oh, the Comic-Con. That's something yep, that you... San Diego Comic-Con. You'd rather be there right now than here, wouldn't you? I'd rather be anywhere else than in a room with you, but... Well, tough. This is yeah. where you get paid to be. So. Yeah, I'm going Suck hard it up, today. <laughs> so, Comic-Con already taking place, right? Already yep. some stuff going I out. I believe today is the last day. Today is the last day of it? I believe. What ends on a Tuesday? I don't know. It may have been yesterday. I'm not sure. When does, it, when does it start? Is it a full week or is it a long weekend? I'm or? pretty sure it starts on the Friday. <laughs> so it's like a Friday to Monday type of deal, I guess. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And it's, if you don't know, that's where all the big like nerd producers... Uh, ver- uh, uh, oh, God. My mind is just not working today. No. Is that trying to be... As opposed to all those other days where it's sharp as attack. Yeah, it's just trying to be Justin Brown is just kind of scramble my brain. <laughs> but it's where all the nerdy producers and stuff uh, debut a lot of trailers. They tease upcoming projects. And there's a lot of cool stuff that came out just last weekend on the Friday. And I have an article up that you can see on ConnectingVets.com, which you should be checking at least 27 times a day. Minimum. That's that's once an hour plus three hours during the day. You're going to do it twice. Exactly. That's the minimum you should do. And I go over a couple of my favorite trailers that came out. The first one that came out is, I don't know, Eric, have you ever watched Doctor Who? Oh, of course, yeah. I'm a Doctor Who fan. Some would say fanatic. 
Now, everybody has their feelings on who is the best doctor. And if you don't, well, you're basically uh, missing out because Doctor Who is a fun show, fun for kids of all ages. Uh, I, I keep hearing that it's a kid show. I'm like, this is a really dark kid show. I know, it's right? It's a kid show, but... You know those Brits. I mean, just look at just look at British cuisine to figure out how dark and <laughs> how dark they can be. Because there's some nasty stuff over there. But yeah, Doctor Who, of course, is is about to come out with a new season featuring the first ever female Doctor. Yes, uh, he, she's playing by a, a woman named Jodie Whittaker. Never heard of her before, but based on what I've seen and what I've heard, I am quietly hyped for this season. Uh, I actually didn't see the last season with Peter Capaldi. Even though he's like my second favorite doctor of all yeah, the I modern doctors. I missed the last season too. You're right. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. But, uh, and apparently this will be the first time that the doctor travels with more than two companions. If huh. you don't know, the doctor traditionally has a companion with him. That is a human that the uh, gives him an excuse to explain everything. So it's sort of an audience stand-in. Yes. Uh, an avatar, if you will, for yeah, the audience. Yeah. Better, yeah. Exam- better explanation. But this, uh, the preview we saw him have, we saw the doctor having four companions, which that hasn't happened since the original uh, Doctor Who back in the 60s. I think that could be a bad decision. Here's really? why. People are, when it comes to things, uh, particularly things that are have a cult following, people are typically, even something like Doctor Who that changes every few years with who the Doctor is, uh, sometimes as long as like five years, sometimes as short as one. Christopher Eccleston only did one year. In Tragically. The of, uh, yeah, he's one of my favorites, maybe my favorite Doctor. Um Adding so you're changing it to a female doctor, which a lot of people are very happy about. That I don't really care one way or the other. It doesn't matter to me as long as it's good. There's 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 your example of equality. As long as it's good, I don't care, man, woman, whatever. There are going to be people out there who are just like "Eh, I'm used to it being a male doctor. I'd prefer that. And if that's how they feel, uh, you know, there are people who would say that's evil. That's wrong. That's how they feel. Whatever. Um, I think making too many changes at the same time. Can make it feel like not the same show. That's what I would worry about. With right. It. Well, this kind of is a new thing because a longtime showrunner Stephen Moffat is not working on the show anymore. He's gone. So yeah. it's a new production team. It's a new doctor, new companions. So it is sort of like we're a little holding our breath here to kind of figure out is this going to be good or right. is this too much change? Well, if you're not familiar with her, she was actually the main character in the movie Attack the Block, which was kind of a. Uh, a breakthrough science fiction film, British one, really good, really good movie about uh, an alien attack that's fended off by like some hooligan kids, basically. Uh, so the, basically, uh, it's Red Dawn. Uh, no, it's a little. It's aliens. It's not ah. Russians, uh, and it's uh, it's it's an interesting movie. Uh, also, the entire history of you, the Black Mirror episode, uh, which is a good one. I want to say was the entire history of you. Hold on. Let me double check on this. It's the one. Oh yeah. Where the guy can rewind everything. It, like you get these implants in your eye that record everything and you can rewind everything and go back over everything. And it shows how that could actually cause some uh, serious problems with you. That's so, interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fast and a horrifying, horrifying episode of television. <laughs> I highly recommend it. The entire history of you and black mirror. It's on Netflix. So yeah, she's uh she's, I, I think she'll do a good job. She's a good actress, but I think the worry for me is that they make too many changes at once. As you just said, the guy who ran the show for so long is now left. You, you worry that somebody's coming in and going to make too many changes to try to make the show their own quote unquote. And that will take away from some of the things that, uh, 
that people loved about it. Yeah, so. We'll yeah. have to wait and see. Yep. Uh, the next big trailer was comes from the mind of George R.R. R. Martin, who oh. is busy not finishing Game of Thrones. <laughs> and this is a channel, it's a uh, original for the Sifi channel, formerly the Sci-Fi channel. Sifi. But yeah, yeah, now it's S-Y-F-Y. It's, it's a God, channel it's a all about name. syphilis. It, exactly. That, with, with some of his content, you might not be wrong. Anyway, it's called Night Flyers. And basically, to me, I'm getting uh, vibes from the movie Event Horizon, if you remember that one. Oh, uh, that's the one where the spaceship goes through like a wormhole. And, and it comes back possessed. Comes or something back like possessed, that. and they go out to find Like years later, they go out to it. Yeah. Yeah, the show is about how Earth is like dying for some reason. We don't know why yet. So a whole bunch of people are sent on a ship called the Night Flyer out farther than anyone's ever gone before, and they're trying to find something to save Earth. And it doesn't go into many details. But what happens is people start dying, and we don't know why. And it's the whole show is figuring it out. Uh, Jor uh, Martin has described it as psycho in space. So it's going to be more of a psychological thriller hmm. that um, that that you know should really you know kind of build suspense and tension. We'll see if I mean it's George R. R. Martin, so I have faith that he can build that atmosphere. Maybe, but. although all I really know from him is Game of Thrones. And yeah, the Game that's of Thrones true. Related stuff. How does he do with like the hard sci-fi stuff? He's you know fantasy and sci-fi, two very different things. So you wonder. Uh, how good he'll be at that it sounds a little bit to me not totally but a little bit like what was that the george clooney movie solaris was that yeah. the one where he goes to the space station and people are going crazy and stuff like that i don't know space madness it can be done well but it's pretty hard to do well i think most of those movies like event horizon is good for a couple of like shock scares and that's about it it wasn't, yeah, a, it wasn't a very good movie interesting movie i mean i enjoyed it but it wasn't a very good movie i enjoy bad movies yeah too, so. well yeah so do i i mean my goodness i listen to a podcast how did this get made uh every every episode that comes out where it's basically uh three people making fun of bad movies and i will happily listen to that because i've seen most of the bad movies that they're making fun of uh and just on my own not because they're making fun of them so that's that's a big thing. How about games? I know Comic-Con also has, uh, you know, it's it's not E3, but usually there's some gaming announcements often tied to like a big project, like a movie or something like that. Have there been any game announcements at uh, Comic-Con this year? Uh, there probably have been, but I haven't been paying attention. I'm sorry. Oh, no. I know. I fail. I've just been paying because there's so much movie news. And speaking of bad stuff, there's been a trailer for Titans, which, if you don't know, is a live action show based on the comic slash cartoon series Teen Titans right. that uh, has a long sordid history. Like Originally, it was a comic book. Then in the mid-2000s, it became this animated show on Cartoon Network that gained a huge following. Then it got rebooted into something closer to uh, SpongeBob in Teen Titans, Teen Titans Go. Go. My son loves that show, and their movie is coming out this Friday. There's a Teen Titans Go movie that is in theaters this Friday and looks to be uh, pretty darn funny, actually. Yeah, it actually has like a hundred percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Really? Yeah. So because there's, there's a character in there, I don't know if who it is, but he, they keep calling him Deadpool, even though that's the DC. Oh, universe. Uh, uh, oh, uh, Slade. Slade. Yeah, and they're like, hey, Deadpool. He's like, no, Deadpool. Yeah, you are. I'm pretty sure you're Deadpool. Teen Titans Go is a silly little show on like Cartoon Network or yeah. one of those. It's but this show. live action show, they apparently tried to go the dark and broody route. With because, DC? No way. Yeah, I know, right? But yeah, so the trailer is so dark, you can barely make out anything. And everyone is just a brooding edgelord, man. Like there's a big scene where uh, Robin beats up a group of thugs, kills several of them, which, which Robin never does, by the way. And then he has this big moment where he says, F Batman. 
Mm. And he's like, ooh, I can just feel the edge coming off of him. I think basically what you're telling me, it sounds like all of them are from the Ben Affleck Batman school of acting. Pretty much, yeah. <sighs> DC, I, and tell me if I'm wrong here, because I'm not beholden to either comic uh, uh, big, big, either of the big comic companies, Marvel or DC, and yes, I'm aware there's Image and blah 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 blah. Shut up, no one cares. <laughs> I don't care about either one, but Marvel gets the balance of dark and gritty and light and fluffy just right, just yeah. right. And they've had the right people running their movies. Brian Singer, who has since <laughs> run into some issues, and I haven't heard about him helming too many projects recently because of those issues but for the first two x-men movies which kind of brought about the uh the resurgence of the superhero movie x-men and x2 were really fantastic movies um dc just has never gotten that they back in the day they had the superman movies with uh christopher Christopher Reeve. reeve and margot kidder which of course basically ended with Superman 4, A Quest for Peace, which was a Golan Globus film, which if you like bad movies from the 80s and 90s, uh, you probably like a whole bunch of Golan Globus films. Like yes, it was a horribly hilarious disaster. Masters of the Universe, the Dolph Lundgren. I love that Star- movie as that's a That's a Golan Globus film. Um, also, the Delta Force movies with Chuck Norris, that's where they made most of their money. There is a documentary about the Golan Globus film company that is absolutely fascinating. And the military-themed movie, you know, keeping this tangentially tied to veterans, hey, we got a last-minute cancellation, so yeah, we get we, to talk yeah. about whatever we're floundering we want a little to bit, talk people. about. We're not floundering. We're talking about what we want to talk about. Uh, Robert Wilkie has been confirmed as your new VA secretary. You know that. We'll talk to a lot of people about that throughout the week. Um, the Where was I? What were we just talking about? We were about? talking about uh, Golden Globus. Oh, Golden Globus. Yeah, so these bad movies and all that stuff. But uh, DC has just never... When they, when they've during this reboot of the superhero craze thing, back to the days of the original Superman and all that stuff was probably the first one. Then you had a bunch of bad superhero movies come out after that, kind of killed it off, started back up with the X Men films under Brian Singer. Marvel's just gotten it, and they've had a, a good balance of the serious ones and the funny ones, funny parts in the serious movies, and then you get the responses from DC, and it always feels like a response. It never feels like they're out in front. The Batman v Superman Dawn of Dark Justice of the Tides of Princes and stuff. Yeah. Whatever that title was with uh, Ben Affleck and whoever. Henry Cavill. Oh, oh, okay. Is he a British guy? Yes. Stop putting British people in Superman's tights. Let's find an American Superman, for goodness sake. He's the American superhero. He's not supposed to be British. And he's like the third British guy they've put in there. Anyway, um, just an awful dragging four hour long mope fest and no one liked it. But they thought that's what people wanted because they'd seen some of the site. They'd see. I think they'd only seen parts of the Marvel movies. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, we'll just do that. Well, what about the funny stuff with uh, with Iron Man and Tony Stark? And what about the the incredible Thor Ragnarok that I just saw recently? Because we never get out to the movies. We have a five-year-old. I saw it on Netflix. Awesome movie. Oh, yeah. It was funny. Uh, hilarious. A, a lot of fun. It was directed by Taika Waititi, who's a, who's a great director from New Zealand, who's uh, the, the guy who did uh, What We Do in the Shadows, which is a great vampire comedy documentary starring Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords. Anyway, I, DC just always seems to be on the defensive and not very good at playing defense. Yeah, and it's, it's, you can point it to one to one guy. It's the, the director whose name escapes me right now. The director of what? Uh, uh, Batman vs. Superman. He also did uh, 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 he did Man of Steel. 
And oh gosh, yeah, you're just looking it up. But it comes down to that guy who constantly has this vision of what it should be, but it just never works. But for some reason, DC won't just can him. Oh, gee. The director also of Watchmen and the 300, Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder, that's his name. Zack Snyder kind of broke through as the director of 300. Later on, was chosen to direct Watchmen, which was called by the people who created it unfilmable. And if you've ever read the Watchmen graphic novel, you know why. They, they said that. It would be very difficult. They made some weird changes. I mean, there were good things about that movie. I liked the movie in general. 300 was a fun you know, summer popcorn movie, very stylish. Sucker Punch, I think, he also did. He, he's done a bunch of stuff, and it's just been kind of like up and down. But the Batman v Superman thing, yeah, he went... Uh, he went the wrong direction. Yeah, there. and the worst mistake DC made was they they tried too hard to be different from Marvel in that they wanted a more serious tone, and also they start with their ensemble movie and then go off to make separate ones. They started yeah. with Batman vs Superman, which really that should have come much later in the series. Like, like with Marvel, they had individual movies to establish Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, Incredible yeah. Hulk, and then they brought them together. Yep, brought them all together, and they had the post-credit sequences with Samuel L. Jackson as, uh, you know, bringing them together for the Avengers and everything. So I would say the best DC movie so far is Lego Batman. <laughs> that's, the sad thing is that's not... It's not an unpopular opinion. I haven't seen them all. I haven't seen the Wonder Woman movie. And I Wonder heard that Woman was, was really good. good. I heard that was pretty good. Although I heard there were also some people who wouldn't see it because Gal Gadot is uh, Israeli, uh, Israeli Armed Forces veteran and very pro-Israel. And a lot of people uh, didn't like that for uh, whatever reason. But um, the thing is, Marvel just does it so much better, man. And you have, even when they do a serious movie, Logan, which just came out fairly recently, which was kind of the uh, what happens to Wolverine after the X-Men are done. And you've got Professor X basically dying and losing his mind and all that. They did the serious superhero movie DC wanted to do, and they did it much better on a much smaller budget and with 100% less Ben Affleck. That's true. Which it's you know it's really sad because when going into Batman vs Superman, everyone was talking about how, oh god, Ben Affleck is Batman. He's so horrible. He was actually one of the better parts of that movie. He's not bad. It's fun to make fun of Ben Affleck, but really, uh, I I think he's a better director and screenwriter yes, than very he is much an actor. So. Um, although he's he's had some great acting parts over the years. I mean, it my. One of my favorites for him still was in, uh, he's in a couple of the Kevin Smith movies, but in uh, Mallrats as the uh, god-awful yeah, proponent the, of the Gap-style store, who was uh, uh, not a good person and was exposed during it. And then Chasing Amy, one of the great movies about nerd culture and uh, the difficulty people have with adjusting and adapting to new things. Pretty appropriate for talking about Comic-Con. But, of course, this is a veteran-focused show. So after taking our veer into Comic-Con territory, and again, Justin Brown, founder and CEO of Hill Vets, having to call out sick today. He was at the VFW convention this week uh, and was uh, just got back and picked something up either in the airplane or at the convention. Could be either way. Of course, today is Tuesday, and that means the president is going to be addressing the VFW convention out there. Oh, that's right. That's today. Yeah, it's today. Today, July 24th. So he'll be speaking to them out there, so you'll be able to see some uh, some video straight from the VFW convention. I wonder this, Jake. They just had the confirmation hearing for Secretary Wilkie yesterday. The VFW is having their convention out in Kansas City. 
did anybody get to go to the confirmation hearing from the VFW? (laughs) I'm sure some people had to stay behind and deal with that. Um, but, or maybe flew out just for it and then flew back out for the, uh, the president being at the convention today. I'm not sure, but this is of course, um, you know, the time where, uh, uh, Keith Harmon will be uh, stepping down as after his year leading the VFW. Um, and then you've got, uh, you know, you've got somebody new coming up. And I think the way the VFW does it is it goes by region, works its way around the country. So, they, And I think the reason they do that is so that you don't have one person from California leading the VFW uh, each year, basically, as uh, as the national commanders. So, uh, you know, they're, they're making that decision out there this week, and it moves to a different region, and someone from that region will come up. And I'm sure we'll be able to talk to them soon here on the morning briefing. So this is a uh, it's a big day with Robert Wilkie having been confirmed. What are your hopes, hopes, Jake? We talked to the experts about this. Let's talk to someone who's just your average veteran, a little bit more informed because we work here. But <laughs> what are your hopes for what Robert Wilkie will be able to do? My biggest hope, honestly, is that he can start firing people. And that is that. Well, I mean, yeah, because we just had this big long conversation <laughs> oh, yeah. early in the show about how. Basically, you ranting about how the VA sucks, and I will openly admit that the VA the has bureaucratic seri- aspect. Yeah, the bureaucratic yes. aspect has serious problems. I think that the expansion of the choice program will be a good thing, but I'm still against full privatization. And but it's sounding like the only person worried about that is all Grandpa Socialism, Bernie. Which you well, know, if he is, then I'm sure Alexandria Ocasio, 26 year old, oh, whose yes. life experience is comprised of college and working as a bartender, who's now the Democratic nominee in the Bronx for a congressional seat up there. But there, there are more people than him who are worried about that. First time ever at the confirmation, though, yesterday, Jake, that there were votes against the nominee for Secretary of the VA. Organization's been around for 30 years. Had about 70 directors in those 30 years. Okay, that's an exaggeration. <laughs> but this is the first time that someone who's gotten to this step of the process has had any votes against them. There were nine out of 100. Of course, this is a Senate vote, so you've got 100 senators. Nine out of 100. Bernie Sanders was among them. I, I don't. I haven't seen the names of everybody else. Oh, here we go. Uh, now we've got them right on ConnectingVets.com. Matt Sainting has us all set. Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand could have predicted that one kamala harris from california ron wyden from oregon diane feinstein from california cory booker of new jersey ed markey of massachusetts elizabeth warren of massachusetts jeff merkley of oregon and bernie sanders so pretty much the usual suspects well and it's the northeast and the west coast essentially vermont new jersey new york massachusetts massachusetts california oregon california oregon so the senators from california and oregon all four of them, both senators from Massachusetts, one from New York, one from New Jersey, one from Vermont. Those are the nine who voted against him. And my issue with that is that they're allowed to do whatever they think is right. But when Bernie Sanders voted against Wilkie on the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee and said that he would be voting against him during the uh, nomination as well, the, the reason that he gave for it was, I don't think there's anything wrong with Wilkie. I just don't like President Trump, and I think any of his nominees. But So he was saying, I'm voting against this guy, not because of the guy, but because I don't like the person who nominated him. That's not the way it's supposed <sighs> to work. I mean, you you are allowed to do that. That's the way it works. But it's 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 insanity. That's like saying that's like that's similar to me to the people who say like, well, I don't like the mayor of this city or the governor of this state. So I don't like the, I'm not going to listen to the police because those police work for No, what are you talking about? These are two separate things. Yes, they're tied together, but they're separate things. 
is the guy the best guy for the job or not? That's what it's all about. And when he says at the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee, I'm voting against him, but it's not about him, anything that he's done. It's about uh, President Trump. Oh, so you're making a political statement. And this is not the first time that this stuff has happened. Nope. You remember the omnibus spending bill where items that eventually most of them got through under the VA Mission Act, um, they were pulled out of the omnibus spending bill. Why were they pulled out? So that certain people could vote against the omnibus spending bill, therefore saying, oh, I voted against everything the president tried to do. That's for political reasons. So that when they're running their opponents in, let's say, the Democratic primary can't say, oh, but you voted to approve this omnibus that that Trump put through. Look, he's a, they're a Trump crony and blah, blah, blah. That's what they're uh, betting on for the upcoming elections. If those veterans items had been in there, that also could have been used against them when they got to the general election more where the Republican yep. would be like, look. You don't vote on behalf of veterans. You voted for these things against veterans. So instead of voting on them in the positive or the negative, both of which could have political fallbacks, they yanked them out from the uh, the omnibus spending bill, which is, uh, you know, we talked to the VSOs about it. You can go back and listen to those uh, chats to find out exactly who was responsible. It doesn't matter. But this is another one of those things where I think this is more of a political move than anything. Now, Bernie since then has said, like, well, I don't believe in the privatization of the VA and the president has made it clear he wants to. So any nominee that he puts out there will privatize the VA. Okay. You asked those questions at the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee confirmation hearing. He said he's not interested in privatizing the VA. Are you calling him a liar? Sounds now like you're calling him a liar at the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee. You said, well, you know, it's just uh, it's not about him. It's about the president. But now you're saying essentially that he lied to you up there is what you think. So interesting stuff. Interesting times. You've been listening to the morning briefing here on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Follow us on social media where we are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. I'm your host, Eric Dame. On behalf of myself and Jake Hughes, have a great day and we'll see you tomorrow tomorrow when we talk to the American Legion and Nick Carson of American Built. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We are CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at ConnectingVets. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.